Welcome to No Driving Gloves, everyone. This is kind of an interesting episode that we're going to do, but it falls back to a bunch of social media. And there was a post on one of my social media pages, and a guy was critiquing a dealer estimate uh, for a repair on his car. You know, they're charging $1,000, and it takes 20 minutes to do the work, and the part's $300 and whatever. And he says, even if you had a cigar, it would be, you know, 30 minutes instead of 20 minutes or whatever. Now, number one, you don't smoke a cigar that fast. You, sh- you shouldn't. You should enjoy your cigar. You know, everybody knows I do cigars, and it should take another hour or so. And I just got fed up with it at some point, and I I wrote a post breaking down a $130, $140 labor rate, or excuse me, $130, $140 an hour labor rate. And a couple people responded in agreement, and this is great. Uh, you should do a podcast on it. And I got thinking – yeah, I should. And then I got thinking, you know, one of the reasons I think you listen to No Driving Gloves is to listen to Derek and Will and I, you know, just kind of shoot shoot stories and have fun. The other reason is we know people in the industry and we have uh, some connections. So I reached out to a good friend of mine, kind of a mentor of mine, who's been in the automotive industry as long as I've been alive, to be frank with everyone. And he's over the years, in the 70s, he owned an independent repair shop. He's very successful at him. Sold it towards the end of the, I guess, end of the 70s, 78 or 79, and went into independent dealership consulting. And for many years, he consulted with dealerships and automotive shops and figured out how to make them better and optimize the business. And then, mid-80s, he actually bought some car dealerships and over like 86, 87, 88, he built himself a little family of dealerships. And after doing that for 10 years, as we all do, I think, you know, even me, we get a little bit bored with what we're doing. And he sold the dealerships off and went back to that independent consulting and built a pretty successful company uh, with multiple employees. But as times went on, he slowed down and, you know, he's looking at retirement a little bit, but he's still helps consult for new car dealerships, helps consult for manufacturers. I mean, he's actually been flown to Japan and worked for Toyota and Honda, helped developing surge, uh, excuse me, service procedures, designing. I know he's worked with the NADA, writing certain standards for them and writing policies. Uh, he's helped design things with manufacturers. He sat in on the labor studies and watched you know, how they've actually come up with these labor rates that are in the books that everybody criticizes that, oh, the book says it's four hours and it only takes 30 minutes to do the job. Well, there's some pluses and minuses to that. I'm going to go ahead and introduce, you know, my buddy and friend, and we're going to we're going to sit down and we're going to kind of help justify $130, $150 an hour labor rate. Uh, it varies where you're at. So we're going to try to pick a median. So we'll probably go with about $150 an hour. And it's not just new car dealerships, even independent dealerships. I've got you know, friends that own independent shops that are $115, $120 an hour. And it's not the tech makes 30 bucks an hour and the $100 an hour goes into the shop's pocket and the guy's just living large on four grand a week for a 40-hour week. So let me introduce uh, Ed Kvolchak to the uh, show. And Ed, how are you doing this morning? Uh, real good. Thanks, John. It's great to see you, as always. Did I uh, get that in- intro kind of sort of right? Sometimes I, yeah, I embellish. Yeah, I'd say you did a good job. <laughs> so, Very good job. I don't know if we're going to jump right into this, or 
how do I want to go with this? Well, I think there's a, a complete misconception about labor rates. I understand that. And, and it just feels and sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? You know, I, I tell you this, I get to see a lot of financial statements, and I just left a large Cadillac dealership uh, this week in New Jersey that's losing about $15,000 a month uh, at a $160 labor rate, although what people don't realize is they actually don't get $160 an hour. There's quite a few services that are done for a lot less money than that. But don't don't um, lesser-paid people do that? So No, get- <laughs> not always. No. Uh, this particular store, the techs are about 38 to 40 before benefits. They have a couple of guys that are 24 uh, that do some of that. And, and this is the New Jersey area, so the cost of living is a little bit higher in that. I mean, we, we're is. recording here in Alabama, so, I mean, if you told me I'm making $40 an hour in Alabama, it sounds great. But our guys down here say 30 bucks an hour? No, 30, an hour? no 35 35 so 38 Yeah, so it's For highly skilled tech. Here's another sad part of this a lot of people don't realize is uh, the more skilled you are, the more you get warranty rate. Warranty rate time does not pay near what the actual time is to do it on a lot of jobs. And these diagnostics are just killers, particularly today. Just to give you a little example of how things have changed, in the early 80s, there was 15,000 parts on a car. 13,000, depending on what the car was. Today, it's around 30,000. And a lot of that's electronics. I was going to say about 5,000 of those parts are microchips from what they're <laughs> telling us this year. <laughs> well, yeah, there's uh, actually, well, that's some truth in that. So actually, those, there's about 100. It uh, depends on the car. Some have 60, 70, 80. But um, all these new systems that come out, these safety systems have gotten very sophisticated. And of course, everybody's seeing lights come on in their dash and the cars are taking control of them, which a lot of people don't like, frankly. <laughs> We've <laughs> we talked about We've being talked about asked that. to turn it off all the time in the stores. Please stop my steering wheel from wobbling. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this this labor rate issue, it's understandable, although check the plumber, you know, or check the air conditioning guy. Um, you're going to find out it's, it's in the same league, if not higher. But labor rates have grown. I can remember, I, you and I were talking earlier, I write that column nationally, which I've had since 1995, and I'm just because of this podcast and us having that discussion, I wrote that column which about that. But anyway, going back to the history of labor rates, you know, back in the 70s, well, I can remember in the late 60s, it would be eight bucks, seven bucks an hour. By the late 70s, 12, 15, 16, can and, can we stop and put that in perspective? Seven, eight bucks an hour sounds like a lot, but minimum wage was a dollar. A, a dollar. Yeah. So it's still that's seven it, times your hourly rate now. Well, but let me let me mention this. Uh, there were no benefits. I actually started out as a technician in a dealership as an apprentice. Social Security was practically nothing. We just had no benefits, and we were on 50-50, so we'd get, you know, if the labor rate was six, we got three, or eight, we got four. The other part of that is you could be extremely productive back then, so that was kind of a saver. We had the warranties. When you think about the warranties, until 1963, it was 90 days, 4,000 miles. 
and then uh, and then it went to 12, 12, 24, 24, and it got a little warranty war at the end of uh, Christ. I was going to say, Iacocca came out with five years, 50,000. Right, right. And, and uh, so you ended up with more warranty. But I mean, you worked in a dealership. Once I got proficient, you know, I could produce 16 flat rate hours a day. I don't have technicians producing 16 flat rate hours a day. The technicians today, if if you're very, very good and proficient, you might do a 20% over 100, you know, 120%. So if you're in an eight-hour day, you might do 10, you know, something like that, 11. Um, so even though those rates were low because of we could be so efficient, we had so much maintenance on those cars years ago, and that's pretty much wiped out. It wasn't that long ago. When you think about the labor rates, we're in the 30s and the 80s. A lot of people don't realize this, too. When the interest rates skyrocketed in 1980, went to 20%, 22%. So you can imagine no one wanted to buy a car. But we lost 5,000 dealerships in three years, which is an amazing number. And uh, anyway, the, the service departments and parts departments are really what saved them. So the labor rates did go up, and they were up in the 30s by the 80s and, and middle 90s. Uh, more towards the upper 30s, and, and of course, the last 20 years they've grown quite a bit. The benefit packages are really what the killer is. That, and the fact you can't be that efficient with the warranty coverages today. You know, a lot of them warranties are you know even up to 100,000 miles. The technicians, I have a lot of technicians that can't even produce it 100%. It's really made it tough. So the other part of that is it's very competitive. When they come out, dealerships owned the service business, like in the 50s and 60s. They started getting competition from people like, believe it or not, Montgomery Ward was a big competitor. A lot of people don't I remember Montgomery Ward service centers or Sears Auto Centers is probably more. Sears was big, big, big. And then there were the gas stations, you know, but they did the oil changes, but oil changes were a thousand miles back then. That's where I started too, is uh, in 93, 94, my first automotive jobs was in a three bay gas station. There you go. And then you did the basic simple maintenances, you know. In fact, then we had tire stores. You might remember that. I, I did, did my time in a tire store, too. In fact, the dealers would send people to the tire store. It's like, uh, uh, you know, we have all we can do. So, But anyway, this competition grew and grew, and these quick loop centers came into fashion, Quick, uh, which is – there's so many stories I could tell you about that. You don't even want to know. And they're uh, all uh, great and wonderful, yeah, right? Yeah, great and ripoff. But anyway, the uh, – <laughs> It kept the price really low. So, for example, the store I just left, uh, our effective labor rate is about 113, I calculated out. And uh, the door rate or the high rate is 160. Some things are at 160, but a lot of things are not at 160. None of the maintenance is near and that. And break down effective labor rate real quick for that. Effective labor rate on customer pay would be a combination of the maintenance you do at a much less price. The works oil changes from Ford, for example, or the maintenance plan that comes with your BMW or something like that. Well, General Motors, almost all the manufacturers have a price control on that. They they don't make you do it. They just make you wish you had of kind of like the Army in marriage. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, they'll advertise it nationally. Of course, you're going to participate. So they'll say it's going to be $59.95. 
uh, this story just left again. Our basic cost with our labor, with the skilled technician doing, keep in mind, if there's more than just the basic service on an RO, then it goes to a skilled tech. So they happen to do the basic service, too. And the price of oil has gone up twice in the last couple of months. Now everything's synthetic, which is a much more expensive oil if anybody's priced out oil. The filters have gone up also, and you want a you know, 27 to 30 micron filter, not the garbage that I see out in you know where, at 80 microns. But anyway, the, the, uh, the bottom line is our cost is almost 50 bucks with the benefits. And we have to advertise it at fifty nine ninety five. You know, so I mean, you can see the the issue. Right so that there. leaves ten dollars on the table for the dealership to cover everything else, the yeah. the light bill and all that, which we'll get into later. But yeah, yeah, that uh, it barely covers any of that, <laughs> but yeah, and and then we have another another one at eighty nine because we have the eight quart. But bottom line is, is the money is not quite what everybody thinks, and uh, everything doesn't get billed out as such, and technicians are not. One of the one of the people you mentioned to me was on your that responded to your note about the, the labor rate, the twenty or forty minutes to do something four hours. I know of that never. I, I've never heard of that. I mean, the best I ever did yeah. is like I think alternator on my. C, I was you know people know I'm very big into CRXs. I could do an alternator on a CRX in like fifty minutes or so because I didn't do it the Honda ways, which is, and I think the book rate on that was two and a half. So you could pick up two, but you risked breaking the master cylinder and brake lines on the car doing the shortcut way. Yeah, that, <laughs> uh, that would be unusual. We, you know, in the dealership, we expect to do it correct. I mean, right. we, we don't, you know, you can talk about shortcuts all you want, but that's not a good game. And I want to say, from an independent shop world, you have friends with independent shops. I certainly do. Uh, the rates are very close to the dealerships. It's really not some humongous difference, actually. And they don't have to do any warranty work. In dealerships, some of the work, some of the dealers are, are dealing with as much as 40% of what goes through the shop is warranty work. That's A lot of that's very unproductive. It's... Uh, you know, I wish it was uh, – I have to laugh I, I, because even some of the technicians that work in a dealership think the dealer goes home at night and piles of cash on the table in the kitchen counting it out, you know. No, that's that's just not a reality. You know, and, and you got to keep in mind, too, anything that we make uh, that's made, any profit, I mean, a big hunk of that goes to taxes right off the bat. Here's another example. You guys probably notice this as you drive. You know, right now, nobody's got any inventory to sell, oh, yeah. which is unbelievably difficult right now. because I, uh, I got the benefit on my trade, and still my, the, car yeah, I bought it, was, <laughs> the car I bought was somehow cheaper than it should have been. But yeah, yeah, it's, that, uh, yeah, that's unusual, you know. But <laughs> So without some income from service and parts and maybe a collision center— and right now, to survive, a lot of dealers are, have sold out to us. You, know, you might notice there's dealer groups. Now, we're down to – well, just to give an example, in 1950, we had about 49,000 individual dealerships. Today, we've got somewhere somewhere just between seventeen and 18,000. 
And uh, think about that drop. <laughs> You've got the big players out there. And they're uh, buying up everybody. You know, so and, and it's amazing. You know, Hendrick Auto Group, say, and Sonic Auto Group. I mean, they own hundreds Group of dealerships one. all over the right. country. And then the used car dealerships, the Carvanas, the Carmaxes. There's one that's even here locally that ironically is one of the biggest used car dealerships and it went into the old mini dealership building <laughs> so it's uh yeah it's it's changed pretty rad there's a lot of competition out there for dealers no question about it anyway the other part of that too is the the, the support staff needed uh because you know years ago when i rode service i was a foreman and then i went into riding service uh in a dealership um, I did the warranties. I did everything. I made the appointments, you know, the whole nine yards. Today, we have all kinds of support. we got theoretical BDC, Business Development Center, which sometimes is glorified operators. <laughs> uh, you know, all those people, and we do pickup and delivery. We never had pickup and delivery. We, we wash the cars and clean the cars, you know, for free, which we never did, you know, years ago. There's so many services to the customers, valet, uh, shuttle services. Uh, this particular store, I keep referring to it, but it was so monumental. They would pick up and deliver a car 100 miles away for a freaking basic service, which is which was, you know, nothing, 89 bucks or something like that. So there's three hours of labor getting it, three hours of labor returning yeah, right, it, and, right. and you make 59 bucks on the oil yeah. change. Well, I had to leave my car. So, Don't forget that oh, part. No. <laughs> and Heck, the uh, gas ate up that $9 a profit. The nice part about this was demand from uh, the franchise that they spend uh, $5 million for a redo of the look. You know, I think the place is beautiful just like it is, you know. But, no, we're going to have the new new look, you know. And it, all these new looks are very expensive. And that, now they will rebate some of that money, but not all of them. Yeah, I, I always look at the old Hummer dealerships when GM made everybody oh, build the big oh, proprietary God, Hummer dealerships and going, how long are they going to sell these things? And sure enough, three years later, they were going. every Hummer dealership's – what do you do with them? It's kind of like having the old Saturn dealerships. They're very distinct. You know, people are occupying with other franchises right now. But to your point, they, you know, then they say, no, no, you can't look like that. You know, well, you made me look like that before. You know? Well, I think the, there's a local Ford dealer here. I've only been in the area 13 years, and they're doing their third remodel from what Ford wanted them to do. Yeah, and it's, they're expensive remodels for sure. So. Especially at this time with COVID. <laughs> Well, we have electric cars coming. Just just the one lift, uh, and the, the, I was helping run a store when my friend got sick, helping him with the stores up northeast. And uh, this uh, little electric car came out with Nissan, and we had to buy this little lift to drop the batteries down. 4000 bucks. Tools and special equipment today just knock your socks off. And the diagnostic tools for all this electronic stuff, ADAS, uh, measurement systems, etc., just very, very expensive. And the tech so, training. Tech training, a lot of it's online today, which I'm not always crazy about, to be honest with you. Pay for the training, and, and then we send them off. We have to pay them, you know. And what is worse is the lost production time. The other thing that's going on is is time off has just gotten to be huge. You know, personal days, uh, 
I don't feel good today. I mean, you, you just would blow your way how many. You know, when I was a, a tech, we worked every Saturday from 8 to noon, plus five days a week. And nobody thought much about it. the way it was. But now, there, you know, a lot of people, I only, I only want to work a four-day week, you know, and things like that. Well, all that's fine, except the bills are just the same. I do these uh, measurements on what a flat stall, you know, because you take the expenses of a service department, you divide it by the number of stalls where I can produce, and that's a carrying cost of expenses, right, every month, whether anybody's in there or anything. And it's been averaging anywhere between nine and 12000 a month. Well, then the guy wants two stalls, you know, because I'm... I got engine problems and warranty. I tear them down. Now when we pull the engines out, we have to pull them out from the bottom. We can't move the cars. I mean, it just, you know, so now you're looking at how many dollars a month just to pay the bills in that freaking stall, you know, so two stalls. Uh, it gets really tough. To, tough. To, a tech has two stalls. That tech has to produce 24000 a month just for the dealership to pay for the stalls and that. Well, that's and, and not even pay the tech. Yeah, but remember, that's gross. That's after I pay the tech, right? Oh, okay. So, yeah, the tech and his benefits have to be paid first, and then what's left allows me to pay the bills. So, technicians essentially work, you know, 40 hour weeks, 160 hours a month. And there's, think about this, 720 hours in a month worth of bills. So we got to be pretty productive for 160 hours in those stalls, <laughs> you know, to pay the bills. So it's, it's a lot more complex than people think. So let's break down some of the expenses in that. You know, you're saying $12,000 per stall carrying cost. So, you know, you got 12 stalls in a building. They've got to make 120000 a year. Why is it? A month. A month. Well, a month. I'm sorry. I um, wish it was a year. <laughs> Uh, little things. Yeah, little things. Uh, what, what is that? A, you know, one-twelfth mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm paying my tech, say, 40 bucks an hour and just being rounded. And we're charging 150 There's $110 an hour left on the table here. I'm billing out 160 hours a month. So still, aren't I making 16000 a month? Well, the thing you left out was the effective labor rate. Remember, yeah, the, whatever that, anybody's door rate is, believe me, they're not at that rate. But, I can, they, but they don't have that on the board above my service. No, but, well, yeah. well, most yes. of the time, you know, they have yeah. laws that, you yeah. know, you have to post this rate. And it's really a misnomer. It's sort of unfortunate. I use, when If I have to post those signs, I always add the addendum underneath of what we're actually, the customer's actually paying. So there's there's some real misunderstanding of that. I think of a financial statement, you know, personnel costs, number one, support personnel costs. Just to give an example, when I was writing NADA fixed ops training back in the 80s, our guide was 40% personnel support costs of the gross. We know what was left after we paid the tax. And um, geez, oh man, today, I'm constantly calculating, or you look at financial statements. I'm talking about the ones that that have all the expenses for personnel in there. Some of the statements kind of cut it short, so you don't get a true reading. But depends on the format. Like Chrysler, for example, is a little different bird. But but anyway, the uh, you know I often see sixty percent, sixty five percent of the gross going to support personnel. You know what's left. And then it used to be the guide was. If you had a shop of 10 technicians, you'd have four support people, you know, maybe five at 
pushing it, right? Today, it's almost one for one. And support personnel fall into is the category of the valets for service you know, writers, valets, porters, back cleaner, office. clean the shop people. No, not the back oh, office oh. people. I'm just talking about the people that work in service. Oh, okay. You know, I got a service manager. I got a fixed ops director. I got a warranty administrator now. I never had a warranty administrator. We were the warranty administrators. <laughs> I got appointment takers. I got multiple operators. I, and the other thing is, this is another little piece of that puzzle in a lot of these stores. This no appointment needed is a freaking disaster for a lot of people because there's a high expectation, and rightfully so, for the customer to say, well, I'm going to just drive up, and I should be out of there in 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour at the worst, right? And there's 20 people ahead of them. It's like I said, can you imagine your doctor saying, hey, you don't need an appointment anymore. Just show up, and let's see what happens, you know? Doctor's a bad example. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you know what I'm saying. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I had to go to – because I bought this car with so few miles, my oil change light had been on. It can't be turned off till 2,000 miles. And finally called the, the dealership and said, hey, um, beyond 2,000 miles, can you turn this off? Can I just pull in and you guys reset it? Or do we need an appointment? Or He said, no, just show up and you can do it. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, yeah, sure. I budgeted two hours. Amazing. I pulled in. I was out within 10 minutes. But I pulled in at the right time of day. I didn't show up at 8 o'clock in the morning. Right, I didn't right. show up at 5. Most, yeah, Right, right. When, when most people yeah. show up, right? Yeah, it's it can be a zoo between like, uh, you know, 7 in the morning to 10 o'clock. And it, it, then you run into issues that, well, people get concerned. I want to be first. I want to be first. So, you know, we opened at 7.30. I was getting to the store. I was getting to the store at like quarter to 7, and there would be cars lined up. You know, I, I'm one of those people hoping, to, <laughs> <laughs> hoping to get in, you know. But I mean, it it's not really great for the customer either when you think about it. So we try to try to have people understand that the appointments are important. And here's another thing: there's no such thing as an oil change only anymore, and they keep advertising it. Even the dang dealers do. Read the manual. You know, they always go, Ed. How do you know all this stuff? Oh, I read your manual. You know, it's like whoopee do. And there's a whole series of things that we do or supposed to do on these cars uh, every time there's a service visit. Keep in mind, they're not coming in every thousand miles like they used to. You might remember, John, you worked in a service station. It's like every three weeks, a guy was in there. He drained oil, puts more oil in it, threw a filter on it, and away you go, you know. No, that doesn't happen anymore. Now we're, what, 8,000 miles 10,000. 10,000 10, on some my, my old Ford my was Porsche 10, is what, 20,000? You know, well, I, mean, I know Mercedes <laughs> is 20. Yeah. 20,000 I mean, or a year, whichever yeah, comes first. Of course, they got large, you know, large oil pans and, uh, you know, high capacities. And, you know, we got a lot of eight quart engines out there now. They never had eight quart engines. Hell, we had four quart engines, no. you know, <laughs> and maybe five, you know. And that's, it's a long time between service visits and a lot of things happen. You know, here's the reality. A car can kill somebody, and it needs a proper inspection. And, and I'm a big proponent of vehicle inspections. But. Yeah, they, and I mean, they need to be done right, and it takes time to do them right. You know, if you jam the work up, even if you're a great tech, and I'm saying to you every minute, get it out, get it out, get it out, I got three more, blah, 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 you tell me what happens. Why would you set yourself up for that? I will tell you, most people want to do it right. 
from a dealership world. Deal integrity with dealers is a big deal, big big deal. But it is with independent shops too. You know, it's a personal business, isn't it? You know, it's you, the people you know. So it's well-meaning. But talking about the expenses, you know, the personnel, then you get into things they call them controllables, if you want to call them controllables. But all those shuttles, those cars and those shuttles we run around, we got to pay for those, all the gas, all the insurance and everything. And uh, the loaners are not free. Computer systems, system, software systems today, and there's so many add-ons. It's nothing to have a ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollar a month bill for just the software and the c- computers and printers that break down every freaking time you turn around. I have to laugh because we have piles of paper in dealerships like never before. And when computers came out, I remember saying, "Hey, the day will come we won't have any more paper." You know, I'm waiting for that day. <laughs> we, we've sure got a lot more paper now, it seems. Yeah, well, it's it, it's uh, kind of wild woolly. But anyway. We have that. We have supplies, which can run a ton of money anymore, and all the things we have to have to support projects we're doing on the cars. And we collect some money on that, against that, but, you know, it never covers it, never covers it. Then we have, you know, phone expenses, right? And we've got... It gets me what phone systems cost anymore. Yeah, and then everybody has to have a cell phone. And every technician has to have a computer now. So that gets expensive. I got laptops or, or full service computers all over the shop now for all this communication. I got to pay for a texting program. So, because most customers like to get texts, I don't blame them. It's e- much easier to deal with than a phone call, or if I'm in a meeting, I can respond, for example. All these things just cost money, you know. And I mean, you mentioned things like rent, uh, utilities, sky high. Maintenance on the building, good grief. You know, you can imagine the maintenance uh, costs, uh, overhead doors and things like that, the lot itself. And we have depreciation on equipment. You know, a lot of times, a lot of people don't realize this. They, you know, I cannot charge off equipment that easily. They make me depreciate it, right? And sometimes the payment on equipment is higher than my depreciation. So if I do show some profit in the department, I may have part of that just went away because the payment I had to make, you know, and then I got receivables, obviously, but I don't always collect all that money immediately. I got credit card costs, right? Everybody's using a credit card. You know, the list goes on. It's pretty extensive of the expenses that we have to deal with, and and I don't have to tell you about property tax. Yeah, I was going to say, let's break it down here in a little bit of dollars, kind of like I did in mine. You know, you've got your power bill, and that's commercial power rates are not what your home power rates are. So don't think, well, I only pay two hundred dollars a month at my house. The shop can't be more than five hundred. Oh my god, it's <laughs> thousands. I, I consulted for a shop about a year ago, and our our power rate seriously was about eight times what the residential rate was. And we're talking a massive shop, a lot of square footage, and the power bill was just astronomical. It was more than... Think of the lights out in the lot. Oh, yeah. You know, those alone. You get that. And like you said, you've got property taxes on there. You've got uniform expenses, you know, just, just some of the trivial things that you never think of. Um, yeah, this I can tell you. So I was telling telling you about, you know, 55, 60, 65% support personnel costs with benefits. 
And then, and that would include the tech benefits. So let's say 60, 65 would be more, although I've even seen worse. But in about another 15 to 20 for those theoretical controllable expenses, the things that just come and go, advertising, policy work, warranties I never got paid for, which happened. And then those fixed expenses, which would be the rent and everything, this, it happens every month. There's no control over it. That's just the way it is. Is going to be another 15 to 20%. You know, you, so you start adding that up. So if I'm at 60, now I'm at 80. Geez, now I'm at 100. Wow. You know, or if I made 10%, you know, right off the bat, 35% of that's out the door to the taxes. You know, it depends what, what state I'm in and that, you know, what I, area. I wanted to hit on the taxes because. I know some of our listeners are more understanding of how businesses work, and some are a little bit less. I get a paycheck every week, or I used to when I had a real job, and (laughs) there's taxes taken out. Do you realize your employer also is paying that doesn't show up in your paycheck stub? Uh, My benefits, you know, I used to pay at some jobs $100, $120 a pay period for insurance. Say we got paid biweekly, I'm paying $240 for insurance. My employer is actually paying $1,000 a month for that policy. They're subsidizing $750. Those are expenses that people don't realize actually take place because you don't see it. Right. It's just absorbed by the business. How about because Medicare? There, there's caps to it eventually, but it eats up a, you know, a substantial amount. Social well, Security is matched by the employer too, isn't well, it? Oh, absolutely. So, so, and, and I think it maxes out, I don't know, 100 and some thousand. I mean – you never stop paying. Oh yeah. I remember when it maxed out at three thousand. <laughs> it was three thousand you could stop paying, you know. By the middle of the year you were done and the company was done paying. But I mean it it like never ends now, so it's so hidden to your point. Like they go, Oh, the government's gonna pay my unemployment. Nah, the company pays your unemployment. Oh yeah, there's you know? unemployment insurance that doesn't show up. Well, on how your about share. disability insurance? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, beyond. We're not even talking and there's two retirements, right? Your social security that God you hope the hell's gonna be there <laughs> when the time comes. And then the retirement the dealer gives you. You know, four oh one systems, you know, so as an example. So they're paying out double on that retirement stuff, so Everybody's happy to do it. It's just we got to survive. We got to make profit. You know, a lot of people don't realize you can make $100,000 in one month in some of these stores, and I can barely make payroll because we went out and bought 10 more used cars at, you know, 15000 a car. So there's 150000 So next thing you know, I'm flooring them. But we never used to floor them. Now I got to floor them all the time. Or the parts, the, they sent me my. 2022 parts, right, that you have to have for all the cars coming out. It includes things like brake pads. I don't put freaking brake pads on that car for two years. <laughs> you know, brake pads today, I, I had one of my friends, I take, take care of his Pathfinder, had 90,000 miles on the rear brakes. I, I trade quite often, as you you know, and advise me against doing, and most people do. I don't couldn't tell you the last time I put brakes on a car, and I've owned some of my recent cars three years. Oh so yeah, yeah, three years, eighty, ninety thousand. Unless unless you just uh, you have bad driving habits, you really you get sixty, seventy, eighty thousand miles out of front pads today. Yeah. I traded when I traded my Fusion. I had the oil change like three or four weeks before, and. The Ford text came back and said, your your brakes look brand new. You hardly have any pad wear. And I had 28,000 miles on that car. So 
Oh, those. let me tell you one thing we left out, guarantees. Oh, yeah. All the years that I worked, there were no guarantees. Now there's guarantees all the time. We have a number of techs that are on, you know, they're guaranteed 100% no matter what. And all that is just dead cost sometimes because because of the circumstance of the week, they produced less than eight hours a day. You know, they're at 6.7 for the week. Well, then I still got to make up the rest of it, you know, that week or by week, whatever the measurement is. You know, that's another dead cost. And then bonuses on top of that. We got people at, you know, 38, 40 bucks. When they produce X number of hours, they get another dollar an hour. You know, and then, then another dollar an hour on top of that over a certain level. Boy, it adds up, let me tell you. This, this one store I'm working with uh, down in Florida, they, they, it's three weeks a year vacation and one week a year for personal time. That's a month a year, right? Mm-hmm. Thought we were in France. But anyway, <laughs> they have no turnover. It got Almost everybody in that store has been there forever, so everybody's out a month a year. So you can imagine their costs. Well, it's not only, like you say, they're out a month a year. They're paying that tech vacation time, say, at 30 but, bucks an hour for that month times whatever, 100, 120 right. hours. On that. And they're also losing the $150 that's, an hour. That's the th- biggest that, loss, not what's you know, paying them. So but technically it's costing the shop $180 an hour for them to be on vacation. Right. And, you know, with customer satisfaction measurements, the first ones that came out in 1979 was four questions. Now it's a book. I used to say it doesn't measure behavior anymore. It drives behavior. And they tie money. The factory ties money to reward you for good customer satisfaction. And sometimes that's all you have. That's that's what you live off of is uh, – their bonus programs, the factory bonus programs. So you spend all kinds of time, money, and effort, whether you agree with the programs. or You know, perfect example is you wash a car. When I was like I was helping work in a Massachusetts friend of mine store, we washed the car. The doors would freeze shut in the winter. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> you can't. You have to be very careful about all these things. It doesn't. The car should be cleaner than when you brought it in. Some people bring it in. It's already spotless. And then you get a zero. <laughs> you know, there was nothing to clean, you know. Right. It's just crazy stuff like that. See, and I, I'm always somebody on those surveys, and I, I understand the surveys and what the manufacturers are looking for, and it goes beyond cars. I don't give anybody a five, a five out of five, because I always believe there's some room some, for improvement. Well, there you and, go. And there's people like me, but those – I do know – the dealerships and the sh- stores that do that are depending on the five. all, all fives because that's what the, the company wants. And again, this is even outside the automotive realm. But there's no allowances for people like me that are overly anal and picky. And No, there isn't. And, 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 it, and it hurts. It hurts bottom line. So sometimes I'm I'm actually grading a little bit higher. Or, you know, this, the shops. I can't say the last time I went to a shop where they warned me I'm going to get a service – you know, a survey, and if I can't fill it out five stars, call us and we'll take care of it before you fill that out. Now, that's how important it is to them. You know, there's one other hidden thing here we didn't discuss, which is parts. And a lot of the manufacturers now are controlling the parts inventories where the dealers would control their own inventories. 
and they will tell you what to order except and you have to order you know 92 or 95 percent of what they tell you to order whatever their latest program is then you have to keep those parts for a year or over a year in some cases and whether you sell them again or not and so that it's so different because it used to be we had to sell it three times to stock it depends what our setting was some people was two two in six months or three in nine months things like that now if you sell one you got it there's a good chance i may never sell that sucker again and then i got to keep in the ship that's all that cash tied up i used to be well we bought all our cars from the same chrysler dealership in the 80s so i was very familiar with a lot how the back ran and i knew what their parts department was and it might have been 10 years ago you referred me to somebody and i went interviewed with the parts department locally and it amazed me that the the interview wasn't even at the dealership. It was in an off-site warehouse because of the amount of parts they had to stock. You think the dealership's only paying for the dealership. No, they're paying for a warehouse oh, miles yeah. away and a complete staff there. It's not the two parts guys that you see at the dealership. There were 12 guys running around this building. I have, uh, I have uh, numerous dealers with pods, with parts. You know, if they have room in their lot, you know, they'll, they'll have the pods in the back of the lot with parts in them. Although I will say, when the parts depot is well stocked and we have daily delivery, I remember we had monthly delivery. So you, you filled up two stalls with parts once a <laughs> month. You were there at 5 o'clock in the morning putting parts up. So that's been wonderful, the daily, you know, when, when it's in stock. The other thing about customer satisfaction is we have more back orders right now than ever before for a whole lot of reasons everybody listening to this is familiar with. Boy, that's affecting customer satisfaction. I mean, it's, there's so many things that are measured that are not under, even under control of the dealer. You know, it gets pretty tough sometimes. So it's, it's not, not exactly a panacea for everybody. And they do have their good months, and then they got their terrible months, like January in the winter. You know, it's just a disaster for the northern dealers. You know, you just, it's dead. Yeah, northern body shops do okay. But. Yeah, northern. well, the body shop guys, they come out in the morning. It's rainy and snowing. It's blowing. It's cold. And, God, what a wonderful day. You know, it's like. <laughs> That's when the tow truck drivers are busy. Yeah, right, exactly. So. So it kind of breaks down a little bit of what we're saying is there's a lot more to that $150 an hour than just paying the tech. And that oh, was, yeah. you know, that's kind oh of the gosh. whole thing here. And we went a lot deeper into the weeds than we, I really imagined we would. I want to say I hope this episode helps some of our listeners understand. And we're going to share this out and share it out to your friends when they start complaining about dealership rates. It's really not just a small business and it's just not 10 guys that you see you know one thing i pointed out is there's a service advisor and the whole reason the service advisor is getting paid is because the tech needs to be working i remember years ago that you could go in and you could talk to the guy working on your car which to me is great i'm have a tendency to be long-winded you know between Derek and i we go on these long monologues but that's why that guy's there is so the tech can keep working on the cars and get paid and you know, some of the service advisors are great, but it's all time. Everything comes down to time in this world. It's just amazing to me. And until you own a business or you research starting a business, all the hidden costs to being in business, and it's just not being open, paying a guy. It's, you know, and I can go to a lot of the businesses I've been involved in and what the background is and sometimes being overworked to try to even help help with costs. 
Was there anything we didn't cover, Ed, that we probably should touch on? Before? Yeah, we probably could, but I'd have to get into assets and liabilities, so I don't, I don't think you want to go there. Yeah, we'll, we'll, but we'll the do time that. of cash is is pretty phenomenal, also. Even your smallest dealerships, it's you know they the amount of money it is to operate, and that's why so many dealerships are not independent anymore. Um, there's a, a group in town here that I know just sold one of their dealerships, and they still have two. And I'm amazed that he's even trying to make it with two. We'll, and we'll see how it goes. But it seems everybody else in town is almost part of a big – I mean, everybody group. down one, one stretch in Hoover, Alabama is now all, all owned by the same dealership network, even if the signs on the sign don't say it really. Well, people don't know the hidden – situation with how many people own what is what they're trying to prove today or or to position themselves is to control a market Mm -hmm. and it used to be i remember royal oldsmobile it was royal group was all oldsmobile what the heck happened oldsmobile boy that was a lesson wasn't it (laughs) so i own hey the good news is i own 50 oldsmobile stores you know what the bad news is i own 50 oldsmobile stores (laughs) I've got a friend who his father bought into Saturn and had a Saturn dealership. Yeah, there and, you go. You know, owned a single Saturn dealership, and then overnight, it's gone. You know, it's, well, look at Plymouth. Oh yeah. Look, look at Chrysler used to have all these franchises, you know, and then now they're just Dodge. It's Ram truck is really Dodge, right? And, uh, a lot of people still Chrysler, get confused on just, that. Yeah. Well. You know, we've had a lot of conversations on the podcast, and I don't want to put you in on my feelings about <laughs> about the Chrysler network and FCCA and Stellantis or FCA and oh, Stellantis. Yeah, it keeps changing. So, yeah. But I do thank you for your time this morning, Ed. I know you your bet. time is very valuable, and we are recording really early in the morning. But That's uh, fine. I want to say just to the listeners, check out the website at uh, nodrivinggloves.com. You'll find links to social media. We might actually put some visual aids up even on this episode, so you might want to check this episode out on the website, see if there's anything attached. I don't know what we can put together, but sometimes some of this stuff makes a little bit more sense on paper. Again, you can reach out to us for any questions. If you have other topics like this, like I say, we uh, if you want to know what, like why Will charges what he does for building hot rods or... I don't know if we really want to get into some of the back office um, sales manager or um, extended warranty guys in, in car dealerships, but maybe we'll start doing a couple of these helpful episodes. But again, thank you for joining us for No Driving Gloves, nodrivinggloves.com. Check us out. Buy us a coffee if you want to. Till then, thanks a lot. Thanks, John. And thank you, Ed. Thank you.